0: Make sure you get a copy and please welcome me in joining Rebecca first. Please welcome me. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean.
1: Since I left in 2001, um, so it's a completely irrelevant to be here. And you know, when you publish a book, um, your press—they give you this whole questionnaire that you're supposed to fill out about organizations you're part of, cities where you know a lot of people, because they don't want to open the market to where it's sending a tour. And every single time for all four books, I have put down in Baltimore, and they never sent me here, <laughs> <laughs> including yeah, now. This wasn't the the press interviews. So proud you to bringing me in. So awesome. Awesome. thank you. Um, and um, I didn't think, think I was talking to someone earlier. I think thinking that in New York, they did me to D.C. They think of the government all in time. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm glad to actually be here. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit and talk um, more than that. And we're going to do Q&A. So when you get tired of me, just tune in out and give what questions you want to ask. Um, but I'm going to read to you. And uh, the first thing I'm going to read is from the end of the first chapter of Great Believers. Um, if you know anything about this book, you probably have heard about the AIDS epidemic in Chicago in the 1980s. Um, it's about a bunch of other things as well, but that's, that's really the core of it. And um, I'm not going to talk too much before I read it. just going to
2: make you set up so you know what's going on. Uh, it's around the very
1: beginning where we'll end the first chapter. Um, so it's 1985. Um, and just to keep Refresh your memory on the historical context or for other people in the audience. Um, 1981 is the year that the news breaks in the New York Times of this virus. that's not yet all um, So by 85, there were about 16,000 Americans who died of it. Um, we're in this period where there's no medication, um, the test for what we now know as HIV had just been introduced. I um, chose the year 1985 a little bit of random Going in and thinking, well, this is a few years in. And then mm-hmm. discovered, as soon as I started researching, oh. this was a really interesting critical year where that test came out and it really made people ask a lot of questions about what they wanted to know, why, um, what was not good to know, or what the uses of something like that mm-hmm. were. Um, And they make some decisions about my characters. Um, 1985, 16,000 Americans said, Really, does not said the more AIDS in public. So this is still something that um, this community feels tremendously important. Um, and it is the intense labor. We're in Chicago, and as you might expect, Chicago got hit a bit later than San Francisco, than New York, than LA. Um, so a little bit of lag time there. My main character is a guy named kind Yale of Tishman. He is in his early 30s, and he's just started a new job as the development director of a smaller um, and cleverly renamed smaller Gallery across the university, from the a block to the very sort of memorable figure. <laughs> um, I was not if you any actual people who were actually directors of this at the time, as it gets obvious to me. And um, the, the starting scene here is a memorial service. Um, Yale's first close friend died, uh, his name is Nico. Um, there's a funeral, Catholic funeral mass happening up in the suburbs. Um, Nico's partner and friends are specifically uninvited. And so instead, they're having this memorial service at the house of the wall behind the new Richard in the city. Um, they've been at the uh, party for a while, and there's about to be a slideshow of uh, Nico's life. And also yeah. yes. trying to handle it. Um, the one thing you need to know going in here, it's relevant well there, is that they didn't bring completely raised at the party because Nico's party Alright. You know. all can bear the and although he wouldn't be the only one crying, he didn't think he could stay there. He backed out of the crowd and took a few steps up the stairs, watching the heads from above. Everyone stared at the slides, riveted. Nico in Running shorts, a number pinned to his chest. Nico and Terrence, leaning against a tree, both giving the finger. Nico in profile, with his orange scarf and a black coat, a cigarette between his lips. Suddenly there was Yale himself, tattooed in the crook of Charlie's arm, Nico on the other side. The year end party last to summon for Charlie's paper. Nico had been a graphic designer for Outlaw Chicago, and he had a regular comic strip there, and he just started designing theater sets too. Self-taught. This was supposed to have been a prologue of his life. A new slide, Nico laughing at Julian and Teddy, but how many they to lost his son and share. Nico opening a present. Nico holding a bowl of chocolate ice cream. Nico up close, teeth shining. The last time Neil saw Nico, he had unconscious, with foam, some kind of awful white foam oozing suddenly from his mouth and nostrils. Terence had screamed into the hallway for the nurses, had run into a cleaning cart and hurt his knee, and the fucking nurses were more concerned about whether or not Terrence had shed blood than about what was happening to Nico. And here on the slide see this full, beautiful face, and it is too much. Yale dashed up the rest of the stairs. He found an empty bedroom and closed the door and sat out of It was, was dark out now, the sparse streetlights and velveters barely illuminating the walls and the floor. He put his glass down and lay back to stare at the ceiling and do the slow breathing <clears> trick <into what> child. <Charlie throat> taught him. All fall, he had memorized the list of the gallery's regular donors. Tuning out the downstairs noise, he did what he often did at home he couldn't sleep. He named donors starting with A, one starting with B. A fair number overlapped with the Art Institute donors he worked with for the past three years. But there were hundreds of new names, Northwestern alumni, North Shore types, that he needed to recognize on the side. Recently, he found the list disconcerting, had felt a dull, gray uneasiness around. He remembered being eight and asking his father who else in the neighborhood was Jewish. Are the Rothmans Jewish? Are the Andersons? And his father rubbing his chin, saying, let's not do that, buddy. Historically, bad things happen when we make this the Jews. It wasn't, it wasn't years until later that he realized this was said. He came up <laughs> unique to his father, to his brand of self But he had been young and impressionable, and maybe that's why one reciting names chafed or no, you may Lately, he had two parallel mental lists going the donor list and the sick list. The people who might donate art or money and the friends who might get sick. The big donors, the ones whose names you never forget, and the and friends, friends he would already lost. But they weren't close friends, the lost ones until tonight. They had not acquaintances, friends and friends, like Nico's older man Jonathan, a couple of gallery owners, Warren Bartender, at the bookstore. There were what six, six people he knew of. People he'd he say hi to at a bar. People whose middle names he couldn't tell you, and maybe not even in their last names. He'd been to three memorials, but now a new list, one close friend. He only told me had gone to an informational meeting last year with a speaker from San Francisco. He would said I had guys who lost no one, groups that I hadn't been touched, but I also met people who have lost twenty minutes. <laughs> entire apartment buildings devastated. And Yale, yeah, stupidly, desperately, had thought maybe he'd fall into that first category. It didn't help that through Charlie he knew practically everyone in voiced him. It didn't help that his friends were all overachievers and that they seemed to be overachieving in this terrible new way as well. How did he have forgotten he hated run. It always gave him the dehydrated hot, his stomach a mess. He found a mm-hmm. mm-hmm. closet-sized bathroom office room, sat on a cool toilet, head between to his knees. Okay, so he thinks yes. about some stuff there for a while that we don't need to know about for this section, so let's cigarette. He's there for a while. And then mm-hmm. there was the list of acquaintances, yes. always hiding lesions on our arms but not on their faces, coughing horribly, growing thin, waiting to get worse, or lying in the hospital or flown home to die with their parents to be written up in their local papers having died the pneumonia. Just a few right now, but there was room on that list.
0: When Neil finally moved again,
1: it was to cut water from the sink, splash it over his face. He looked frightful in the mirror, brains under his eyes, skidding on on pale olive. His heart felt funny, and his heart always felt funny. The slideshow must be over, and if he could look down in the crowd, he could be able to spot Charlie. They could make her escape. They could get a cab even, and they could lean on the window. When they got home, Charlie would write his nap to study making tea. He did feel fine. He opened the door to the hall and heard a collective sense as if they were all holding their breath listening to someone make a speech. Only he couldn't quite hear the speech. He looked down, but there was no one in the living room. They moved somewhere. He came his there slowly, not to be start, a sudden noise was making vomit. But down in the living room was just the horror of the record, spinning past the last song. And the needle eye retired to the side. Beer bottles and the blueberry glasses, still half full, covered with tables and cash The trays of candies have been left on the, the dining table. table. you, you thought of a raid, some kind of police raid. But this is a private residence, and they were all adults, and nothing much to do with what happened. Probably someone had to pop come on. How long have you been upstairs? Maybe 20 minutes. He wondered if you could have fallen asleep on the bed. if It was 2 a.m. now. But no, not unless his had stopped. It was only 5.45. He was being ridiculous, and they were out of the back Places like this had back He walked through the kitchen, through a book on a There was the door, but it was dead. He got his hand to the glass, a straight canopy, a heap of dead leaves, the moon. Yelled her and started shouting, Hello? Richard? Guys? Hello? He went to the front door, also, bizarrely deadbolted and fumbled to an There was no one on the dark street. The funny, ridiculous idea came to him that the world that had ended, that some apocalypse had swept through and forgotten only him. He slapped himself, but at the same time, he saw no bobbing heads in the neighbor's windows. There were lights in the houses opposite, but then the lights were on here, too. At the end of the block, the traffic signal turned from green to yellow to red. He heard the big cars far away, but that could have been wind, couldn't it? Or even a lake. He yelled for a siren, a horn, a dog, and air across the bay sky. Nothing. He went back inside and closed the door. He yelled again, you guys! And he felt now that trick was being played. But they might jump out and laugh. But this was a memorial, wasn't
2: it? It wasn't it's it's great. the tenth grade. People weren't always
1: looking for ways to hurt him. It. He found his own reflection on Richard's TV. He was still here, still visible. On the back of the chair was a blue windbreaker he recognized as actual glasses. The pockets were empty. He should leave, but where would he even go? Cigarette was filled the ashtrays. None were half smoked, none smashed by of paste. Copies of some of the Negro's comics had been laid out on the end tables, the bar, but now they were scattered. Probably more a product of the party than its end. And he almost walked one off the floor. A drag queen named Martina Luther King, a silly punchline about having a dream. He walked through every room on the ground floor, opening every door pantry, coat closet, vacuum closet, and until he was greeted with a wall of cold air and descending cement steps. He found a light switch and made his way down. Laundry machines, boxes, two rusty lights. He climbed back up and then all the way to the third floor, a study little labor and storage, and then down to the second again and open everything. Ornate mahogany bureaus, canopy beds, a master bedroom all white and green, a dying artist print on the wall, the one of the boys' with the hand A telephone sat next to Richard's bed and yellow rabbit with relief. He listened to the tone, reassuring, and slowly to have his own number. Not expect. He needed to hear a voice, any human voice, as so he <laughs> found out to come back and call information. Name is Nicholas, the woman said. Hello? He wanted to sure she wasn't recording. This is information. Do you know the name of the person you wish to call? Yes, it's Marcus, Nico Marcus on North Clark Chicago. He saw the names. I haven't Marcus on North Clark. Would you like <laughs> me connect to hand you? No, no thank you. Stay in the line for the number. He He circled the house one more time and went finally to the front door. He called to no one, I'm leaving, I'm going, and stepped out into the dark. Okay, uh, so there are three of them more to just see in the book. world's not actually. Um, <laughs> I was uh um, I read that once at a writer's conference for like teenagers, and this young woman came up to me afterward, just asked question, but wasn't even out. And she came out to be very, very excited, and she thought it was really sci-fi. Oh, uh, <laughs> and she thought <laughs> it was very scary for the writing. <laughs> 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 and that's a great story. That's not what we were doing. Um, okay, so before I read you, I'm going to read you um, in the end a much shorter section. But in the meantime, um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this book. Um, I know that some people have read it, and some people have not and that's cool. It's not an English class, um, so we'll be kind of spoiler free zone. Um, but what I'll say is, um, this book started somewhere completely different. So, um, as, as stories and books often do, you know, as you look at the finished product, you assume that the authors are original, and that's not usually the case. Um, what happened is that in um, 2014, 2013 mm-hmm. actually, I had turned in my second novel, and I also mm-hmm. turned in my story collection. So, maybe I had two books in the hands of And I thought I could relax for a little while, and I was visiting an agent in New York. And second place. And, um, and she started grilling really me about <laughs> when I was going to be. And then it was really intimidating, just like she's a good agent. And I was trying to say, I didn't know, I just, like, didn't I need to decide right now. And um, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll think about it. And I wasn't even trying to think about it, she did some kind of hacks on me. And um, in the cab between her place and Chelsea and the head station, which is not a very little cab. I looked out the window and I saw this really striking young woman. She was stick-thin, maybe six feet tall, just ebony skin, um, you know, and shaved head just cloth falling off her. She might not have been a model, she might have been an astrophysicist. My impression of her was that she was a model. And I started thinking about that. And I started thinking about models and muses. And I started thinking about what it might have been like to be an artist's muse in, say, the teens, 20s, a time before women really had the importance of making their own art, having a career. Um, those of you who have not read the book are already really confused right now. Um, those of you who have read the book recognize that this became a subplot in the novel's character, Nora. This um, woman who um, had been an artist model in Paris before and after World War who is quite elderly in for many days. So, what happened that day is, as I started thinking, I had this, this whole idea for a novel came to me complete, just not the novel that I wrote. And the idea was um, this older woman looking back from the end of her life. I didn't want to set it in the 20s because I'd just written a novel where I was set in the 20s, and also I felt like okay, I don't want to do research. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. um, I wrote a really good research I was going to have this whole story about her looking back, telling the story of her life to someone in the other world. And um, it wasn't for like two weeks, I was like, it was going to be contemporary, looking back. It was like two, full weeks later that I actually did not on that and realized that she couldn't have lived much past the 80s, um, unless she was even 120 years old. So I, um, I decided that, okay, I going to the 80s, that's fine, I lived through the 80s as a kid, but I, I can not um, and at that point, I realized that our role in the AIDS is an opportunity to write in a bit about the AIDS epidemic, which is something that has throughout whole life been a point of interest and concern for me. Um, so, in the you know, interest of probably more of I do as well, I was born in 1978. So, in 1985, I was seven years old. Um, I was not, you know, my so I was not taking the gay bars, so I said, this was not the girls. But um, I lived in Chicago, my parents were in academia, I was aware of what was going on. And it was a time when kids watched a lot of TV, like, actually, I to you, like, i sitting on sick school school? We watched want to, to you. Um, so that was going on. And um, there, I really believe, when um, I talk to people right around my own age, it concurs yes. on this. First of all, I think that just as we have in a native country, we have in a native decade. Um, the, you know, the decade that you grew up in, um, it imprints itself on you. And in the same way that the Vietnam War had been the backdrop to a lot of American childhoods, even for people who were, didn't have a brother in the war, the AIDS epidemic was the backdrop to the childhood for people of that generation. And for those of us living in cities where it was talked about, for those of us paying attention, for those of us who pretend to be six, we watch on here. Um, we didn't have an adult sense of crises coming and going. We didn't have an adult sense of dismissal that's happening over there to those people because of the decisions they made. And we didn't have our own life story. That some of the people I've spoken to about this, as I've been on the road, said I should have known, I should have cared more about I was in the suburbs raising my own kids, and I, I don't even I don't remember not remember what Charlie is. Um, we were porous, and, you know, the decades of a childhood to get more mental space in your life forever than any other time in your life. And, um, so, I, I say that because I get asked a lot why I'm writing about this time, to me it seems obvious, I was born into a world in which this is the most important thing going on, and people my age came of age with this event. Um, so I felt like this was going to be a to set book, and, um, I have this idea, here's my thought. It was going to be that this woman um, was home watching the news, and there's a painting on the news, it's in a And it's a portrait, and um, it's a dubious authenticity. Some people think it's like a stainless artist, some say it's not, and she alone knows the truth because that's the portrait of her. And so she needs to contact people in the art world the title and tell them all about it. So this is going to be a star the start of a taller's story. And so I was thinking about this for a really long time, um, just spinning it around in my head, and I was getting ready finally to head off to a residency, an artist's retreat, in Wyoming, um, where I was going to go for two or three weeks to just start this book with other artists and writers. And right before I left, my husband asked what I was going working on, it until 10, until 10, and I told him, I told him this story. He goes, um, honey. You ever yeah, the plot of the movie Titanic? Do <laughs> <laughs> you remember? She's watching the news, and there's that sketch. That they bring up, and she's like, "That's me!" Oh. <laughs> and it was correct. Um, <clears throat> so we got to Wyoming, and it's like the most beautiful place. It's like remote Wyoming, and I'm looking out this window, and it's elk, and it's all eagles going by, and I was just. In despair because I didn't have a book anymore. Um, and, uh, I want to hear that, and I did a lot of yoga and
0: I revised my story collection. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: but I did write one day um, towards this book. And here's what happened in the meantime to days. One is, um, I had started to think about the way that in so much of what I'd seen and so much of what I read, AIDS was relegated to the self-help. Um, it's not that any one of those pieces of art is problematic, but the fact that that's a major move, I think, is problematic. So often I was reading things or seeing things where, um, you know, the friend has AIDS and dies offstage, stage, but the character goes to visit them in the hospital, and oh my goodness, the bed is empty, and they died, and the main character owns lesson about life. And I didn't want to write that story, I didn't want this to be related to the silence. I felt like I'm to this need to do it how. Another thing that was happening was that um, I was starting my research and I was finding incredibly profound stuff about Chicago in specific during the interlude time, which I'll talk about maybe in a second. Um, I was also reading about the Paris world around Joel Horlock. And one of the things that I found was I was reading this wonderful book called Flavulous Six Women in a Dangerous Generation. Um, i Judith going highly recommend it. And um, it goes, it follows like it's all this general, this is topic okay. And it had in there a quote from Scottish Gerald talking mm-hmm. about his generation, saying we were the great believers. And I found that so odd because when we think about generation, it is jaded worldly debauched sort of generation, right? Um, and so I looked at the essay that it was from, it's an essay called it Haller Generation, and he's talking about um, Specifically his generation before the war. In this time when um, they believed in, they were very naively believed in their own greatness, their own greatness they off these soldiers. And um, so I started thinking about that generation in a different way. I was also learning a lot about the visual artists who came to Paris before World War I it's the age of birth happy. People were coming from all over the world, so Satine moving um, young they're people, all of the women too, to study in our um, They are moving their pennies, they are bringing furniture for warmth, they are finding chairs in the family, they're making art, they're trying to make their way. When World War I and the Influenza of 1918 roll through and decimated that generation, largely it young young people that And it is in the aftermath of that, but the American writer we even about to go to Paris. And this is when Richard science is a time where you're all lost generation. And that's the last you always see that generation. Okay? And then the parallels between that generation and the age generation of the city of Chicago um, started to become really tough to me. So I'm glad to have going on there. And so the one thing I wrote there in my own would be staring at this and all the was a letter from the character who had become more to the character who had become Yale saying um, it was about her coming back after the war, searching for the cafes the friends and not being able to find them. It. it didn't end up in the book, but it became
0: the start of something, and it hasn't been The other thing that happened was um, my, the research on Paris Art
1: World was really easy to find. There were a lot of books um, so I knew I was going to have to look a little harder for books about Chicago specifically in the AIDS epidemic. I still with books like Infamous Lay On, How Storm so Plague, big, chunky, important nonfiction books about AIDS, but I realized Chicago wasn't even in the index. So I was learning a lot about the epidemic itself, but not about Chicago's history. So I went to the like, Hill Washington Library in downtown Chicago, which is our equivalent, not quite as fancy as of those parents. Um, and um, I knew that what I would find there would be kind of dry academic books, someone's doctoral dissertation turned into a book, whatever. There was zero. Uh, there are no books about in America's library study. Um, it's not that there's nothing. There's a coffee table book out of Chicago in like 10 pages. Um, there's a nurse who published a graphic memo more like, the modern Comics last year about being an AIDS nurse in the 90s. Um, there's a lot of oral archives, but that's what it is. Um, which mm-hmm. is really alarming. Um, before I went on tour of this book, I wanted to make sure that I was going to be misspeaking myself, even though I've been asking people for five years if there was anything. Um, and so one more time, if I need to put a book, I googled AIDS Chicago book, and when I got this, are you really going to turn That's awful. Um, so, I don't know. I have not it's very difficult to research about what it needs to be done. Um, so, what I did instead, what the Hill Washington Library did have, was every back issue of the Wednesday Times, which is a and weekly, uh, as well as some other papers as well. And I sat there and I read every word of every issue from 1985 to 1992. Everything from op to to do, editor, to news, locally and around the world, to I had some $85 VHS success because it's just invented. Um, it was really, really interesting. Um, and I was starting to reach out, and I knew that what I needed to do next was find um, people to interview one on one. I started actually to reach out on Facebook. Um, I, I had a lot of friends attending my age, maybe a bit or maybe they were older than our Arkansas in Cisco or somewhere else. Um, so I just put out a uh, Facebook message saying if, hey, if you were out in Chicago and the 80s to talk to you, if you could tag a friend, um, people started introducing me to people. Certainly not everyone wanted to talk um, for a good reason, but some some of them did. And at first they were kind of just wondering if we removed from what I needed. The first person I talked to was when who moved to Chicago in '92 and then worked for Apple. We had coffee, he was really helpful, and at the end of that conversation, as it evolved, in all future conversations, I said, Who are the next three people you think I should talk to? And then he was not only giving names, he was making introductions, and I was going for And soon I was talking to doctors, versus lawyers, activists, journalists, archivists, the art therapist from the Women's Sonic AIDS Unit, the woman who brought the AIDS cultivated here, absolutely ever the ever-night finance survivors. Um, some of them had me into their home, I never had me before because I didn't want to talk about this in Starbucks. Um, others had me in public, we talked for hours, I recorded when I didn't, I took notes story, I didn't. Um, I wasn't basing characters on them, I wasn't basing my thought on them, but I needed to do honor to the history of um, the story. Um, I had great concerns about my rights to tell this story, um, and I talked about the priority of the team and the that I like, talked more. Um, but one thing that I knew was that if I was going to do this, I had to be just granularly accurate. Um, and so that was what I was going to have to do. And those people, students are all over this book. Um, an interesting time in my life, um, the five years that I was writing, it was an interesting time. It was writing from like 2013 to 2017, an interesting time in our country as well, um, to have these voices, in my ears, to um, so that's it. I'm, um, I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you one last quick mm-hmm. story. I'm going to read you one last quick section. What was the to That's That sounds bad. The story mm-hmm. I was be away with here is that um, one of the people I interviewed was a guy named Jillian McMillan, who I hadn't realized for a long time is still alive. I've been reading about him, seeing pictures of him. Um, he was an act up in the 80s, and I knew he'd been positive way back um, in the early 80s. Those um, of you who've read the book, there's a scene quite later on, um, based on a real act of demonstration, national act of demonstration, Chicago in 1990, I worked here because the American Medical Association, a lot of insurance companies were reported there, and they were, um, you know, AZT was not being covered by those insurance companies, it was one of the most expensive of like, ever introduced in the American market for no reason at all, That's, that was a solid move. Um, so people were all protesting. And they read about these these five guys who got out on the ledge of the county building. And then they were dragged back in one by one, very rude by the police. Um, And he was one of them. And I was amazed to find that he was alive. I was amazed if he was willing to sit down and talk to me. And he did. Um, But he sat in a bar, and he brought photo balls with him, which was something um, so valuable to me. Because, first of all, we're talking about a time when not everyone has a camera on their body at all times. Also, you don't take a camera into a gay bar in 1986. That's not cool. So, so there weren't nearly as many photos. Photos turned out to very popular. Really I really loved whenever I could see them. So we had these photo albums, and we were looking through them. And the last column he opened up, um, he hadn't realized when he brought it up. It turned out not to be a photo album, it was actually um, a scrap of a funeral albums. And they were all, they kind of jumped tumble out all over the table. They were very disorganized. And I said, I had to organize these. Um, and the reason that he had so many poems crammed in there together is, um, although he lived in Chicago, this guy was from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And Milwaukee has this uniquely devastating race story. Um, You story. Know, every city's story is different. And what happened in Milwaukee? Is that in 1993, which is late enough that the drugs are pretty good, people are surviving, you're three years out still from the antivirals that are going people alive? Um, there was an outbreak in the water of this bacteria called Curtis And I remember living in Chicago, hearing about it on the news, and what they said on the news was um, 68 people died. And they said largely, you know, in effect, the elderly in those compromise compromised community. What <laughs> that meant was the city of Milwaukee basically lost its entire HIV AIDS community within a week. Almost all of those symptoms, I mean, almost all of those deaths were AIDS ADHD patients. Um, I told a story in Milwaukee at a store, store, which is where I read it in the bookstore. And I got a lot of blank stares from the crowd and two people lying on their heads. And then the bookseller there, who was in the fairways, of the AN, affair, was, man, was standing, and walked to the side, and he said, Yeah, we lost two of our booksellers that week. And then people came along and didn't know that story. I mean, I'm sure plenty of them do, but I did particular night I grabbed it. And the reason I'm saying this is that, um, you know, I've spent this book now for a year and a half now, I've been all over the place. Um, and um, this is the first time I've been in Baltimore. And I'll say, I haven't like, lived here, I don't know. And I am sure some of you know, I'm sure some of you don't know. Um, I would really encourage you, while there are social drivers among us, to find out what you can. Um looking at up and talking to people. There you know, some people want to talk, some people don't. You probably know the people who would feel it, if you didn't it yourself, who were had to buy it. Um, or maybe you know, where you found it from somewhere else. But I've heard I was in Dubuque, Iowa, And you and not thinking to be I would have this. DJ's story, and I read in there a the little anecdote And at the end of the line, Simon Spies kind of lingeringly waiting, which is always a bad sign because someone about to hand you your life's email. But <laughs> he wasn't. <said, laughs> <laughs> um, he introduced himself and he said, um, "I was an in infectious to disease specialist to at one of our two hospitals here. And what happened is, you know, if you're a I young man in the eighties and you like probably leave and you go Chicago walking." When you get sick, you go home. And this happened to be in a lot of smaller cities. He treated dozens of dying men in a vacuum without the communities or around him about how he was doing the same without the volunteers grassroots or organizations that we have a such a lot of. And I asked him if he'd ever written a story down, and he said, no, I haven't a thought about it. Um, and I beg to do I don't know if you will or But those stories are around us, and this is a time um, when we have survivors for a little while longer. Um, from an original When I say that, I want to be clear. But we still have 1.1 million Americans living with HIV. Um, this is not a but that was passed, 35 million people were really, living really, really with HIV. Most of them in Africa, which is why you don't hear that on the news. And you know that that were Europe, you um, would. Um, so I don't want to discuss this past, but we're talk about the original days of the American crisis. Um, those survivors are still around, and it's really important to mm-hmm. So That's that so much, so sorry. Um, and I'm going to read one last scene, which, um, as you will see, it was very well inspired by this particular encounter, but, um, well, maybe not that. We'll be to What I haven't mentioned about the book is that every other chapter, and they're much shorter chapters, which is a much finer thread, as much less of a plot, is 2015 Paris. Um, I was writing in 2015, so that's the of kids in but the time contemporary. <laughs> and Nico, whose memorial we at the beginning, his little sister Fiona is in Paris, don't worry about my, but she is. Um, that friend Richard, whose house they were in the beginning, he knows is in Paris, she's staying with him, and he has the photo homes, he wanted to show her. Of Nico and Yale and other ones back in the day, Fiona was not ready to look at those at first. Um, and now she's alone and she's up. And one thing you need to know here is that in adult life, Fiona's job is that she manages a resale shop that benefits the AIDS housing. So, there were probably 20 elements on the A fact Fiona hadn't absorbed that first day. Rows of black leather, brown leather, colored canvas. Boxes little slides as well she didn't mess with. When she pulled a thick red album off the shelf, though, a paper slipped out and landed on the floor. She had attempted to clutch the album closed before anything else fell, but she dropped the whole thing, and now there were papers everywhere—cream-colored sheets folded in half, small cards, a lavender page with a green photo of a the man. They were funeral and some prayer cards. She on her knees and started stacking up. This wasn't a photo album at all, she saw, when she opened it to an old clipping from an album in Chicago, an obituary of someone who danced with the album in A&E Theater. Jesus. She opened the album at the beginning and tried to slide the papers back into in the empty spots, And then named Oscar, no one she remembered, had died in 1984. A clicking up Kathy Tatani from 1986. Here was a bullet for Towns Robinson, Nico's Towns. She must have put this one together herself, but she didn't remember it. Jonathan Bird, White Summer. There were so impossibly many. In her current life, it happened that it was a week. Someone would wander into the store, and then when they discovered its mission, say something like, Oh, I remember that time. Fiona had learned to check her temper, to to push her toes into the floor so her face didn't change. I knew someone whose cousin had it, they'd continue. Did you ever see Philadelphia? And they shake their heads in dismay. And how did she answer? They meant well, all of them. How did she explain that this city was a graveyard? That they were walking every day through streets where there had been a Holocaust, a mass murder of neglect and antipathy.
0: That when they stepped
1: through a pocket of cold air, didn't they understand it, it was a ghost? It was a void the world has sat out. Here in her hand ghosts. So,
2: i was just stop there and get a always in the key line. I to ask a question. Oh, there you go. <laughs> first of all, I absolutely love the book. Thank you. Um, but I didn't understand and, and make the, how the Fiona-looking, I did. not think it was like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't understand how the Fiona looking for her daughter story yeah. fits in sure. with the Yale story.
1: Yeah. Or about the, the common character. Right, yeah, So um, basically what's happening in 2015 is Fiona is looking, okay, Fiona's daughter is a strange to um, her. I'm really interested as a reader in stories where you see two different threads coming together and you don't know for much of the about father in um, the same You're waiting, you know, part of the tension of the book is waiting for them to come together. Um, we out yeah. towards the end of the book is the, the source of their strangers, the source of a lot of the and wrong in their relationship is the trauma of humans in the past. That said, I don't think, you know, yeah. i, I There's a yeah. thing that can happen in books where things are a little bit too on-nose. Things mm-hmm. are a little bit too hardane, a little bit too dramatic. It's a little bit too the, the author's topic, you know, we can see. Um, and in the randomness of your life, the randomness of things that don't necessarily... Automatically, together in your mind. Yes. Um, to me, the book became really interesting. Um, but I don't think you know. I don't think you need to look at it as your eleventh-grade like, English teacher would want you to. You know, yeah. people drive themselves crazy trying to, crazy to try and do that. that. But, but why? Wow, what's the? What does it mean? What is it? Sometimes it just is. Um, and that aside, I will say that thematically, you know, this is a book in many ways about chosen family, uh, family and chosen. And um, I don't, you know, as an author, my job is not to get in there and give a message like, yay, chosen family. <laughs> it's more to ask questions, to muddle things up. Um, and in many cases, in his book, chosen family is the preferred family. Of, you know, in some cases, there are parents who come through, there are siblings who come through, right? Um, it, was it was interesting to, to me, the, the, the reason that Fiona's daughter is Paris, she got involved in a cult for a while. And I was interested in that idea of a chosen family that is not helpful in any way whatsoever. A (laughs) chosen family that can be really poisonous and toxic. What does it mean to choose a family or a family to choose you? What does it mean to leave behind um, actual blood ties for other ones? And um, and, (laughs) what (laughs) we owe to each other? Do you (laughs) owe things to your chosen family? Do you owe things to someone because she's your daughter? Do you owe something to someone? Something to someone woman who as a child. Um, so it's, it's something that thematically binds the waters for me as a writer. Um, so that's you know, some of the conversation that's in there. But yeah, it's not its not a nice linear, I everything mean, fits together, like puzzle um, kind of thing, which, which is a decision you make because sometimes you write a book. If I that back mm-hmm. on the 3 like second novel. it's very much about everything mm-hmm. that came into place, about puzzle in the end. And, um, and this is a massive book.
0: the process of thinking through your rights to tell this story. Um, and I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about that and
1: maybe how that came up in your Yes, definitely. OK. So um, yeah, I, you know, who do I am kind of question, right? And it's not a question, No, I, you know, there's been a tremendous amount of conversation, a very helpful conversation, in many, uh, in many artistic disciplines And they're doing a podcast, so I'll just say I just rammed my hand into the microphone because that's what I do. So, um, there's been a really long conversation in many different arts disciplines and academic disciplines about who has the right to tell a story. Um, I think that it specifically tends to come up when someone does it badly, right? So, So, someone tells a story about a group they don't belong to, and particularly um, you know, from, uh, back on the book, I say, whatever culture you live in, for I believe most of us in America right now, right, um, the more that your demographic, the more that your identity is represented in the, you know, in movies, in books, in songs, Psalms, in the vernacular, the less you have had to do work throughout your life of seeing yourself in others. Right? So, for instance, if you are a young gay boy listening to pop songs and, you know, kind of the pronouns or whatever it is in your head, right, you do that for And the more that your um, demographic and your identity is just the dominant one out there, the less practice you have doing do that. And so it's not so much a matter of you are, like, honestly. It's hard, and the, the higher you up on that scale of representation within society, the less practice you have. So I'll say the controversial, which is that generally, when are any men, are any women are better, amen, than men are, women. Not no. always, not always, but, okay. um, you know, we can see sometimes through a book and a man says something about, you know, Bryce, trying to write the point of woman, and you're like,
0: not, not the great. way it works.
1: <laughs> and you and think, okay, why is that? It's not that men less or less apathetic. It's nothing like that so like about women are psychic. It's that you, you know, know young, young boys, boys in school have probably mostly read books about boys. They've seen movies about yeah. young girls in school, they've been exposed yeah. to a lot of human narratives. We've grown up with that. Okay. So okay. you, so you magnify that at times, you know, know across religion, gender, race, all kinds, kinds of things. Um, yeah. and you a think we're challenging, and I can wear anything. Position of relative right. privilege, right? I am, a than any woman, I'm straight, I'm white, you know, this, this is, you know, my, my viewpoint in society is more representative. I haven't had such a um, So um, the thing is, when you're writing fiction, you are always writing cross-difference to a certain extent. I am not going to fill a 400-page novel only with straight, white, college-educated, 41-year-old women. That would be really weird. Um, yeah. You know, nothing yes, else you're writing across gender, and you're doing all kinds of things. And I think at a certain point, they become really sure not to include um, people of color, people with disabilities. Yeah. So I'm going to put those in. So the question is, can you do it all? And in this case, more than that, it was, you know, I really, I mean, it's not just including a character, it's really telling this whole story for someone's sort the of history that I wasn't there for. Um, yeah. I wasn't was sure until sure. it was out in the world whether this was going to work. Um, and it even went for a while. It was out of the world, I, wrote, I think the last review has come in, in the <laughs> paper. I knew I needed um, I mean, to do just I needed to run it past lots of people who tell me where I was set in addition to all that research. One thing I did is that um, at the end, before I spent it finally to an editor, I had three people read it really carefully. Um, it was one immersed in medical stuff, and the two came in, it was been out so no there. Um, and in multiple of this, I I like wanted to tell you the slightest thing that I got wrong that just doesn't sound right, that you don't like. Um, i got notes literally on the stickiness of a certain bar floor. <laughs> and you can imagine it in turn to the close to you. Can't, you, can't just, you um, and one of the things happens, I said to was, I wanted to tell you down to, I don't think you should publish this in its current form. And I need mean, you to be able to say that to me. And I need you to be able to hear that if this is not the way I should write. And... Um, this one guy, Justin, is a lawyer, um, he had been there after all this, and he was sitting across the me, he had, you know, he had, they gave him the printed manuscript, he marked it out the pen, and he had his will in the paper, and he was going through page by page his coffee shop, and he stops, and he goes, you know, Rebecca, I just really don't think that you can walk east at that time and get <laughs> <laughs> you killed me. You just killed
0: me. <laughs> you had no idea that the harm attack I was having at the time.
1: Um, but um, no, the thing is, you know, anything done badly in art is kind of like aesthetically offensive. Very Representation done badly is offensive. <laughs> and so this is a typewire act. Um, Typer, highlighter, I am not mind mixing those so <laughs> two things up. Those are two different circumstances. It's one of those six. things. Very <laughs> <offensive>. <laughs> Anyway, um, so that is, that is, believe it or not, <laughs> that's the short version of the answer to yes. all <laughs> uh, Before we move on to the next question, we just ask that you hold off until the night, because you that everyone uh, <laughs> can be able to hear your question and answer story. Yes. Okay. Uh, so you can... <coughs> Hi. so you're at my book club. And we, every book that we've read, some of us read it and some of us listen to it. So mm. as an author, have input as to who is reading the story, or if you have more than one person reading or is it just the same for the entire time? And how does that, does that come into play as you are writing the book? Do you actually now think, okay, hey, someone can be listening to this, and I need to change this, or I should make sure I do this? It's such a good, exciting, think kind it's of question. I love that. Um, so, so I'll say, um, it varies. My first book, at can notice um, they just Gave someone, um, more comment on that. Um, my second book I got to choose. Um, my story collection did not made it into audio an audio as it's not always source. Um, i not true. I did not make it into an audio And then, um, this one, I was, it was in a conversation with producers, and there was a conversation, first of all, of we have a man and a trading chapters. Um, uh, they really wanted to go just with the man, and I it said, That sounds fine, and you need to actually be someone putting on voices not you know, I guess that's he, um, and they sent me, like, links to about uh, six or ten somewhere in right there, different actors um, just links to things they all been And I found this one guy who was sort of just loved, just sent a day to me um, and then I, I did a deep dive to him doing all of to see what he could do, because this is um, a well-talking novel. You know, after this, when I do, it's like, like the city, and <laughs> So, um, I needed to make sure I could do that. Um, I needed to make sure I could speak be French, because there's nothing worse than listening to the audio book. And they are like, well, you're, you know, I can't, I can't do it. So, um, I think we found this wonderful guy in the crowd, who I like, just adore. Um, I haven't met him, but he, and I haven't listened, i haven't listened to the audio that's available online. Um, but I'm not going to my own book because he's special torture. <laughs> um, but he then um, was such an advocate for the book. I um, think it really—he's you know a younger generation—and um, expressed that he really felt like he would to film something reading this loud. And it's just been so lovely. And then um, in January, he was part of God and his got married, and he put my book in his New York Times wedding announcement. Mr. Crouch, who's an audio actor, just said, uh, who recently read the Game somebody to go with that game writing uh, <laughs> <laughs> neurotics. The so. <laughs>
2: Thank you so much for your readings and your perspectives. Uh, it's been very interesting. I, I was curious about the research you did for the book. Um, it really s- suggests that you have to do a lot these social networks in Chicago. And and I just wondered, um, at
0: least in Baltimore, we all have different stories from the HIV pandemic, depending on our perspective, or depending on what city
2: um, or rural area where we we may be based. Um, But no matter where you are, I think the HIV epidemic um, has been a very diverse experience. Uh, diverse not only from the standpoint of sexual preference, but also for gender, country of origin. And I imagine for Chicago, you have an amazing number of stories. How did you decide right. which
1: stories <coughs> to keep and which stories right. uh, to say, Right. Who is in this book? And this is where my book does not do the job of nonfiction. You know, when I say the nonfiction needs to be done, the thing is, I cannot oh. in a novel decide size cover the trans of color of all different of and different communities, and the Haitian community. Um, at a certain point, it's just not an option anymore. Um, and I, you know, uh, to a certain extent, I, you know, I, I think because I started going that okay, I have a guy in the world. Then it's like okay, who are his friends? I'm going to make them as diverse as I can, within like, in reason for the eighties. Um, I very to make kind of. And so, you and know, I, do, I do, do think that well, the limitation of this form and of this novel is it tends to be relatively well-educated, RCIs sort of diverse, group, not that diverse. Um, what mm-hmm. I was able to bring in some things, I was able to bring in stories in activism of some of the what we now call, um, um, you know, the, 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 the cross, so, you know, they're, they're, they're out there fighting for, you know, um, as sort of busy women of color. Right? I mean, um, but I wasn't able to, you know, get out there and, and make all of these different pieces of the story, which I think, like I said, is limitation of the novel form. Um, there were, yeah, there were always I had to limit myself. There were people who constantly wanted to introduce me to one more person, more person, which was what I asked for. And then at a certain point, like, okay, yeah, well, you're them, I you to introducing my friend who worked in Lansing, Michigan, in the nineties, helping this inner population—that is so cool. It's, it's gonna overload my brain at a certain point. I'm not happy about it. You you want to write something that, that gets it all a bit. Like, way to all of it. And I way great hope with this book, and I was so thrilled when people have told me about this happening, um, is that for people, you know, for people who already know a great deal about the AIDS epidemic, maybe bucket. It. Because it's a novel, it can kind of speak source people's work, some people maybe do not know a lot about it, and that if, if this is the first thing someone's reading about. It's that it leads them to reading other things um, and getting into learning about those other communities, um, and I've been absolutely delighted when people have talked about that to me, said I really didn't know about this and then I read the on, and then I watched you know this, these documentaries um, mm-hmm. because that's where you can actually start to cover some ground. lifelines you need to them too. So if you're always moving around in time, you need to constantly remind people what time it is. Um, even I mean this is how it comes around to time at the beginning of every chapter and tell you it's 1986 and tell you it's 2015. 20, um,
0: otherwise people, you know yeah. i always one my students, readers are smart.
1: You're writing for your best reader on an off day. Right? That's really what it is readers are very situated for very fiction they're brilliant you're all brilliant right um but you're really listening in the car and someone sends past you and you're sitting on the brakes you're reading you're listening to a baby on your shoulder you're reading for the book times you get up to do. you get a later and you don't remember who anyone is that's what reading is like right and um you gotta be helping those very real readers out um the decision is just a really a total walk thing but um Somewhere else in the room. You're only making this decision in the voice, not just in the point of view, but in theoretically within the book who's being spoken to and what do they know. So the difference between starting the book and saying, she looked out the window and saw the confetti below, or the difference between that and saying, Mary Anderson looked out the window of the Enoch Pratt Public Library in Baltimore, Maryland in the year 2019. And saw the confetti from the block party down, down below on the street. In the one case, I'm assuming you know stuff already, even though you don't, you're just behind. In the other case, I'm assuming you don't know right? So that maybe like, year start. And um, the decision that I made, sorry, boring people is right? super crowded stuff. The decision that I made with it here was I'm uh, talking to you like someone who knows 1980s gay very well. I'm not gonna explain the bars and talk to you like you know and invite you in and pretend, even if you don't like you know what I'm talking about. But if you don't know these people. So when someone walks into the room, I'm saying this is Teddy, he's a ten piece of philosophy candidate, etc. And doing that allowed me to be terribly constant with people to orient those people, to fill you in, so that you kind of keep an eye on who's, you know. What's going on in the India? But of course, it depends on your idea. It depends on your <laughs> um, Thank you so much, Rebecca, for, for that incredible talk. And we hope you visit us many more times. So one more time for Rebecca's <laughs> talk.